Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. A missing starlet. A purse with a mysterious note. Suspects that include a Hollywood-leading man, mobsters, and a possible connection to the Black Dahlia. This sounds like film noir or a crime novel, but this is a true story. This week, I'll talk about the mysterious disappearance of Jean Spangler. This is a case that I've wanted to cover since the beginning of the podcast. The bygone era of old Hollywood just holds so much allure to me. The men were rugged and handsome, and the women were stunning to behold. And everyone was always dressed to the nines. I mean, today, when people wear their pajamas to the store with no makeup, it makes you long for what once was. Well, at least I do. Men were never without hats and suits, and women wore stockings and lipstick. The stars in 1949 were Clark Gable, Gary Cooper, Rita Hayworth, and Betty Grable. And Jean Spangler wanted to be a star, too. I was reminded of her story when I got my most recent Entertainment Weekly, and I saw this really great article by Maureen Lee Linker. And it's by far one of the best articles about the mystery that I've found. So I used it as a source, as well as one on Pens and Patreon by Veronica Franco, Dean Marie Pyle Peters and Cold Cases Blogspot, as well as Wikipedia, 
Palm Spring Life article by Arthur Lyons and the Life and Times of Hollywood.com. On Friday, October 7, 1949, aspiring actress Jean Spangler left her Park La Brea apartment on Colgate Avenue. Jean shared the apartment with her brother and his wife and her mother, who was in Kentucky at the time. So her sister-in-law, Sophie, had agreed to watch over Jean's five-year-old daughter, Christine. And little Christine asked where her mother was going. And Jean replied that she was headed to work, and then she winked at Sophie. She had worked late before at night shoots, but what did this wink mean? About two hours later, Sophie received a call from Jean saying not to expect her home until the morning, since it was going to be a full eight-hour shoot. However, Jean never returned home, and that wasn't like her at all. So when she failed to return home at all, Sophie became concerned. And when nighttime came, that concern was heightened, and Sophie finally called the police. Things took an even scarier turn when Jean's purse was found in Griffith Park. Inside was a very cryptic note in her handwriting that read, Kirk, can't wait any longer. Going to see Dr. Scott. It will work best this way while Mother is away. And thus began a 70-year-old mystery that is still unsolved. So let's delve deeper into the life of Jean Spangler. Jean Elizabeth Spangler was born on September 2, 1923, in Seattle, Washington, to Cecil and Florence Spangler. While I couldn't find out anything about her childhood, I did find out that her love of the stage started in her teen years while she was attending school in Los Angeles. And she started dancing at the Earl Carroll Theater. This was on Sunset Boulevard. And pretty soon she went from being a stage dancer to modeling and then on to small bit parts as an actress. Now, Jean was this beautiful woman. She had very dark hair, these perfectly arched brows that framed her blue eyes, and a stunning smile. I guess I would describe her as a bit like Vivian Lee mixed with Jane Russell. And those good looks quickly attracted plastics manufacturer Dexter Benner. And the two got married when Jean was 19 years old. And I read that he was somewhere in his 20s. After just six months of marriage, Jean filed for divorce, citing cruelty. However, the couple still saw each other on and off for years. The complicated relationship produced a daughter, Christine, in 1944. Now, as you can imagine, the relationship didn't last. And when the divorce was finalized in 1946, the court granted Dexter custody due to Jean's alleged infidelity. He claimed that Jean had an affair with a serviceman nicknamed Scotty, this was during World War II while Dexter was away also serving in the war. Benner's lawyer also alleged that Spangler was an unfit mother due to her drinking and partying. Whether this was true or not, Dexter refused to let Jean see Christine a total of 23 times, This was according to an article in the Los Angeles Times. He even threatened to, quote, fix it so you'll never get to see her. Jean took her ex back to court and finally regained full custody of her daughter in 1948. And the judge said, 
a little girl's places with her mother. Jean then moved into an apartment in Park La Brea with her mother, Florence, and her brother and sister-in-law. So finally, things were turning around for Jean Spangler. She had her daughter back, and her career was also taking a turn for the better. In fact, she had just finished production on a movie called The Petty Girl, starring Robert Cummings. And she told the star that she was involved in a new romance. And when he asked if it was serious, Jean replied that it wasn't, but, quote, I'm having the time of my life. Now, let's go back to that last night of her life. Jean left the apartment at 5 p.m. Before she was going to this night shoot, she was going to meet up with her ex, Dexter, to discuss getting more money and child support payments. We know that they had this very contemptuous relationship. When later questioned by police, Dexter declared that he hadn't seen his ex in weeks. Jean didn't return home, so Sophie hurried to the Wilshire Department of Los Angeles Police Department. Of course, they didn't take the disappearance too serious. She was a grown woman with a kind of dubious partying past. So they concluded that she was probably just out for the night and would be home soon. That was until her purse was found. At the Fern Doll entrance to Griffith Park, a worker found Jean's black purse. Now everything seemed intact, except for the handle, which was broken. The note inside drew lots of questions, especially since it ended with a comma, indicating that it was unfinished. What else was she trying to say? Police organized a 60-man search of the park to try to find more evidence, sadly turning up nothing. They, of course, questioned Dexter first, and he told them about how it had been weeks since he'd seen his ex-wife. Now, however unlikely that may seem, his current wife did confirm it. Jean was last physically seen near a farmer's market. This was just a few blocks away from her apartment, where a witness said it looked like she was waiting on someone, and this was around 6 p.m., When police went to the studio to see what time Jean might have left after filming, they were very surprised to find that there wasn't anything being filmed that night. Now, this may explain the wink to her sister-in-law before she left. The filming might have just been a cover story for Christine to explain why she was going to be gone all night. I mean, how else do you explain to a child why you're not going to be home? When you put two and two together, my best explanation for the lie was probably due to a man. But who was this man? Police assumed that it was the mysterious Kirk in the note. And there was one Kirk that Jean knew, Kirk Douglas. Now, we may know him as Michael Douglas's father, but at that time, Kirk Douglas was one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. He was essentially like 1949's George Clooney. Jean had worked on an extra on a film with him called The Young Man with a Horn. Douglas himself had phoned the police department while on vacation in Palm Springs to let them know that he had worked with her. He claimed that he didn't know her well at all, just in passing from working on the set. And while researching for the podcast, I came upon several disturbing articles with a very shocking claim that Douglas reportedly raped a 15-year-old Natalie Wood. Now, according to this unsubstantiated story, remind you, Wood was invited to Douglas's room. This was at the Chateau Marmont for an audition. 
And while her mother was waiting in the car, Natalie went to Kirk's room. There, reportedly, after giving her a drink, he threw her down on the bed and raped her. And even though she was bleeding from this rape, her mother discouraged her from reporting the attack, fearing that it would ruin her career. So she later supposedly confided in friends about what happened. And like I said, the story has never been confirmed officially. Douglas, by his own account, admits to being an alcoholic and a womanizer. He said, I'm a son of a bitch, plain and simple. This is what he wrote in his 1988 autobiography. Douglas, however, denies ever raping Natalie Wood or having anything to do with Gene Spangler's disappearance. And there were also many rumors of Kirk Douglas getting girls pregnant and paying for abortions, but like I said, these are just rumors. So now we come to another rumor in the disappearance of Jean Spangler. Was she getting an illegal abortion the night of her disappearance? So according to a friend of hers, Jean was secretly three months pregnant at the time of her disappearance. After some deep digging, Detective Lieutenant Harry Didion found a former medical student that performed illegal abortions who went by Doc or Scott, according to what source you read. So remember in the note to Kirk, she claimed to be going to see Dr. Scott. Police were actually never able to find a Dr. Scott, despite going through every doctor in the Los Angeles County area. And some feel that the Dr. Scott may actually be referring to the Scotty that she'd been having an affair with while married to Dexter. So now let's explore that angle. While Dexter was away in the South Pacific in the war, Jean took up with an Air Corps lieutenant that she called Scotty. We never actually learn his real name. Her lawyer said this Scotty had gotten physically violent with Jean when she tried to end the affair and that he even threatened to kill her. However, after leaving him in 1945, no one recalls seeing the two together again. So why would this man hurt her or be so vengeful after years of not seeing her? There were also rumors of the mafia being involved. So a few days before her disappearance, Jean was seen in Palm Springs with Frank Nicoli and David Little Davy Ogle, who worked for the mobster Mickey Cohen. Now, Mickey Cohen was a really big mobster at this time, and he had a lot of goings-on in Los Angeles. In fact, his guys, Ogle and Nickley, themselves disappeared around the same time as Gene. They were under indictment for conspiracy. And according to MafiaWiki.org, Frank was a bodyguard and a close friend to Mickey Cohen. And Mickey Cohen was a rival to the Sicilian crime boss, Jack Dragna. Now, this name's great. Jimmy the Weasel Fradiano had served time with Frank in the penitentiary, and he was trying to get him and, like, other people to leave Cohen and to join Dragna, including Frank. So Fratiano claims that Frank was given one last chance to leave Cohen before he was killed. Now, a witness did see Jean with two men at a restaurant on the night she disappeared, and she appeared to be arguing with the men. A customs agent claims to have seen Jean and Little Davy in 1950 at a hotel. Now, this is way after she disappeared. A clerk at the hotel confirms that the woman did look like Jean, but hotel records fail to show any record of Jean or Ogle. Jean's own mother didn't think much of the sighting. She said, I just don't feel that she is alive. 
Jean was rumored to have dated Ogle, and Mickey Cohen, who paid the bail bonds for Owen, searched in vain for this guy. A Texas sheriff picked Cohen up in Texas, where it was thought he was searching for little Davy. So Ogle was rumored to have been spotted in Mexico later on, too, just by himself. But I really doubt that Jean would have left without having any contact with her daughter. I mean, think about it. She fought so hard to regain this custody that I just can't see her leaving without her little girl. So, and I also think it's more likely that little Davy Ogle and Frank Nickley were killed in some kind of a mob hit. The most intriguing theory by far is the one that ties her to the Black Dahlia. Former LAPD Detective Steve Hodell has theorized that his father, Dr. George Hodell, was the killer of the Black Dahlia, Elizabeth Short. And after reading his books and listening to the phenomenal podcast, Root of Evil, I'm also convinced of this. And for this part of the podcast, I used Steve Hodell's book, Black Dahlia Avenger, because it's so good and so informative. When Jean Spangler disappeared, it had been three years after Elizabeth Short's mutilated corpse had been found. Hodell thinks that his father, Dr. George Hodell, had been dating Jean. And this is because his older brother, Duncan, told Steve that their father had been dating a drop-dead, beautiful actress named Jean. The last time that she'd been seen, Jean was reportedly with a clean-cut man in his 30s and a black sedan near the ranch market, and this was not far from... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Her apartment. And the pair were also spotted near a hot dog stand across the street from the apartment of Man Ray and his wife, Juliet. Now, if you know anything about the Black Dahlia case and George Hodel and all of that, you know that Man Ray was a very close friend of George Hodel's and also kind of a creepy guy. So his father fits the description of the man that she was spotted with. 
There was another account of a sighting of Jean and the mystery man at a gas station late that night on the Sunset Strip. A woman who looked like Jean came into the gas station, accompanied by a man fitting that same description. And as they were leaving, the man mentioned that they were headed to Fresno. As they drove off, the woman shrank down and yelled out, Have the police follow this car. Steve O'Dell says his father owned a 1936 black Packard sedan, which resembles the one seen by the attendant that night. And that same car also matches descriptions of a car seen leaving the crime scene of Elizabeth Short's murder. Around the time of Jean's disappearance, George Hodel was arrested for molesting his daughter, Tamar. He was bailed out that same day. Jean was seen talking to two men in the restaurant and the man with the car. So Hodel thinks that Jean knew something that she shouldn't know. He thinks that this other man was Fred Sexton, an Italian artist. Sexton actually created the sculpture prop used in the film The Maltese Falcon. And Fred Sexton was a very close friend of George Hodel's. The two were named by Tamar, George's daughter, and Steve's half-sister in testimony as having these sordid sex parties and making her participate. She said that both her father and Sexton forced her into intercourse. Tamar was just a teen at the time. So to get more insight into this whole story, I highly, highly urge you to listen to the Root of Evil podcast because it delves into this whole thing with Tamar's children and members of the Hodel family, including Steve. It's actually one of the best long-form podcasts out there. You will be hooked. You won't be able to stop listening to it. And it's such a chilling story. Steve Odell thinks the men in the restaurant were Fred Sexton and his father. He also has insight into who he thinks that mysterious Dr. Scott was in the note. He thinks it was Dr. Eric Kirk, a physician who was arrested just days before Jean's disappearance. This guy was part of George Hodell's abortion ring, which was headed by a Dr. Audrain. An undercover policewoman who posed as a pregnant woman busted Dr. Kirk. She was advised to bring $250 in cash to Kirk's office on Riverside Drive in North Hollywood. And this was all part of a sting by the gangster squad and Vice Squad Sergeant Charles Stoker to try to bust this whole abortion ring. Kirk and his wife were set to testify as key witnesses in the abortion ring scandal. And Kirk was eventually convicted of performing abortions and sentenced to San Quentin. Hodel thinks Jean was going to go to Dr. Eric Kirk, but after his arrest, she needed a new doctor. And perhaps she turned to George Hodel for this request. He also says that no Kirk was ever discovered in Jean's case because it was all part of a cover-up. In the 1949 grand jury case, members of the gangster squad were found to be evasive and contradictory and accused of covering up facts and destroying evidence about this supposed wealthy Hollywood man. This man, of course, was George Hodel and was named as a suspect in the Black Dahlia murder. This was a time of huge corruption in the police department. I mean, for reference, watch movies like The Gangster Squad and L.A. Confidential just to get an idea. 
Another tie to George Hiddell would be where Jean's purse was found. Her purse was found just less than a quarter of a mile from Hodel's home. It's called the Soden House in Los Feliz. This is the same house built by Frank Lloyd Wright, where Steve thinks that the Black Dahlia murder actually took place. In fact, he can connect a direct link between 50-pound cement sacks that were used by workers at this house they also call the Franklin House, to sacks used by the killer of Elizabeth Short to transport her body to the vacant lot where she was found. And he was so convinced that the Soden House on Franklin was the site of the infamous murder and possibly others that Steve Hodell hired retired police sergeant Paul Dosty to go over the property with his dog Buster in 2012. There, Buster hit upon human remains and soil behind the house and in the basement. And these soil samples were taken to forensic anthropologist Arpod Voss. Voss tested them and found the presence of human remains. They think that there could also be remains in an area that's adjacent to the house. However, at that time, the house belonged to Laura Prepon. She's the star of Orange is the New Black in that 70s show. And they asked Prepon if they could do a non-invasive search of the area, and she refused. Hodel thinks that his father may have had a hand in other suspected deaths and disappearances, including Jean French and Gladys Kern. So I'm going to quickly go into both of those cases. A nude woman's body was found in a vacant lot just seven miles west of where Elizabeth Short's body was found three weeks earlier. The woman had been stomped to death with her mouth slashed, and lipstick from her purse had been used to write on her body. They were used to write the initials BD and the obscenity fuck you. So it's called the red lipstick murder if you look it up. The victim was Jean French, and French was an actress in the 1930s, who became a registered nurse and one of America's first female pilots. So it's also known as the flying nurse case. French was very good friends with oil heiress Millicent Rogers and later the nurse to Marion Wilson. And she was the infamous woman in black who always placed flowers on the grave of Rudolph Valentino on the anniversary of his death. So this poor woman had heel marks on her face, her breasts, and her hands, showing that she'd been stomped to death. It's an awful, awful thing to think about. It's suspected that she was also beaten with something that looked like a tire iron. And the killer had draped her blue fur-trimmed coat over her body. And a man's white handkerchief was found nearby. Black hair follicles were found under her nail, showing that she put up a fight. Her ribs were shattered, one having pierced her heart, causing a hemorrhage. French was seen having dinner with a man with dark hair and a small mustache, as well as another man. Now, this sounds very familiar, doesn't it? A lot like Jean's last night. The man with dark hair and mustache fits the description of George Hodel. And the men were seen arguing between themselves. Like Jean Spangler, Jean French was having trouble with her husband, whom she was planning to divorce. And these parallels are just amazing. 50-year-old real estate agent Gladys Kern was found in the Los Feliz area of the Hollywood Hills. 
she was a real estate agent and had been showing a house where she was stabbed to death. The knife, which was described as a jungle knife, was found at the scene wrapped in a man's handkerchief. Gladys was last seen in the company of a tall man in a suit. So at the home where she was found murdered, two gardeners saw two men coming out of the home and getting into a car. Now, perhaps the strangest part of this whole case was a note left in a mailbox the day after her murder, but a day before she was discovered. Written on the outside was, hurry, give to police, and this was left at a mailbox near the Biltmore Hotel. This note was very similar to the one in the Black Dahlia case, which was also glued and folded, that was found in a cab that said, take to examiner at once, I've got the number of your cab. The Gladys Kern note was found only two blocks away from George Hodel's medical office and on the same block as another note that was found in the Black Dahlia case. This Kern note is really rather long and odd, so I'm just going to sum it up. The writer claims to have met a man in Griffith Park. Remember, this is where Jean's purse was discovered. And this man offered him $300. So he claimed he was looking for a house, but since he was into racketeering, he knew no one would sell to him. So he wanted the writer of the note to buy the house in his name and take the cash. So he went with the man to inspect the house. When the writer of the note went inside, he found a woman on the floor with a knife in her body. And then the man was tied up and robbed by this racketeer, who he knew as Louis Frazier who had jet black hair and wore a garbadine suit. A sketch composite of the robber bears a strong resemblance to, guess who, George Hodel. Years later, Steve Hodel's friend told him about a knife that his brother Mike had taken from him while at the Franklin house. This is a crazy story. He said it was a jungle knife. And this matched the knife found in the Kern murder. Now, you may think this is no big deal, but the thing about this knife was that it was specifically made for this friend of Steve Hodel's. So this wasn't just any ordinary knife. It had very specific identifying features. Now, while all these things are not definitively proven to lead back to George Hodel, it really makes him look suspect for these murders. Steve suspects that his father may have had a hand in eight different deaths. This is Georgette Bauerdorf, Elizabeth Short, Ora Murray, Armand Robles, Gladys Kern, Jean French, Mimi Boomhauer, and Jean Spangler. And he strongly feels that Fred Sexton helped in all these murders. And there are an additional nine that he feels need much further examination as to possible connection. And one of those includes James Elroy's mother. I covered this on a previous episode. The connections are due to like the savagery of the beatings and the mutilations, plus the bodies being dumped in public areas. Hedel covers each one in his book, The Black Dahlia Avenger, so I won't go into each one. The book is very professionally researched with some very compelling evidence. So while I can't say for certain that George Hodel was responsible for Gene Spangler's death, I do firmly believe he is the one that killed Elizabeth Short. 
So that was the disappearance of Gene Spangler. It really does make you lean towards the George Hodel theory, although her ex-husband did have the most to gain by her disappearance. And it's really a shame to me that she never got to become this Hollywood starlet that she wanted to be. And it's an even greater shame that there's a little girl that had to grow up without her mother and a family that just never knew what happened to their loved one. I think it's so sad that her mother just gave up and accepted her death. I'm finally glad I covered it because I've always found the case very fascinating. So like I said, check out Steve Hodel's books. They're so good. As is the podcast Root of Evil. You will binge the hell out of that one. I was kind of on the fence when it first came out because it was so hyped. But then my really good friend Amy told me how good it was and I always trust her opinion. So if you feel like discussing this case, join the Red Rum Blonde Facebook group. I want to welcome new members Cheryl, Barbara, and Sarah. You can also find me on Twitter at Blonde Red Rum and on Instagram, or you can email me at redrumblonde at gmail.com. I just finished the new Night Stalker documentary on Netflix, and it is creepy as hell, but he always really creeped me out. But this is one of the best documentaries that I've ever watched. I was really skeptic at first. It's another thing that was really hyped, but when you watch it, man, it's so good. You will love the detectives, Gil Carrillo and Frank Salerno. Those guys will earn your respect. And there was actually so much information that was in this documentary that I did not know. Like, I had no idea he abused so many children. It's, it's really awful. And there's one of his victims that tells her story. And it is so scary, but you can't believe how brave she was as a child and now as an adult speaking out about it. I think her name was Anastasia. As an escape from life, I've been watching or re-watching True Blood because sometimes you just need a getaway. So that and Seinfeld. So what are the shows that help you escape when life gets to be too stressful, which I think it is for everyone right now? Let me know. Let all of us know. We can check them out. Thanks so much for listening and catch you all next week. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.